Let me talk about Built Bar and Stu. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you've seen the changes in my uh, svelteness uh, mm. since I've been starting to eat uh, Built Bars. Not as much of an improvement as I was hoping for. Well, um, well, you can't eat 14 of them at, at each sitting. I think that's the issue you're having. I know you nowhere, like them. Nowhere on the label does it say that. I will say that's true. I don't think it does say yeah, that. It does not say se. that. It does not say. It says, uh, you know, it says that it, it's good for you. It's and healthy. It it's got protein. It is. It's uh, it's keto friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keto diet. It is. Um, and uh, and it has like three net carbs. Yeah, yeah. So, that's uh, all I've true. Read the, but you, if you eat ten uh-huh. of them, then you have thirty net carbs. Do you understand how this works? You have to kind of keep. Not really. You'll have to explain that to me. Uh, I'm in the middle of eating another. Real chocolate built bar. Mm. Uh, good for you. Good, healthy food. Can they say help you lose weight? I I, I haven't seen it. Uh, order a box or seven. Now at builtbar.com, use the promo code BEC15 and you'll save 15% off your first order. BEC15, builtbar.com. Hey, uh, Stu, I I don't know if you saw this, um, but the president and his cabinet has made some changes uh, regarding guns. Just some minor tweaks here and there that don't really have to be discussed. It's not a big deal. Hmm. They're just changing the definition of of guns. Uh, And uh, it's not even worth mentioning, quite frankly. Oh, also... uh, Glock wins and Biden loses in a major liability suit against the gun manufacturers. We have that and your safety coming up in 60 seconds. The Glenn Beck Program. So Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, owns Clayton Homes. That's the largest builder of manufactured housing in the U.S., Buffett said that, that Berkshire is seeing very substantial inflation and they're raising prices of the homes. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, Warren Buffett seems to be accurate a lot of the time. And he's saying that inflation is here and it's here now. What's funny is he doesn't have to go to a grocery store to figure that out. Now, maybe in Omaha, he's still doing the shopping for the wife and kids, but I doubt it. The worst part is that nobody's really questioning us. We're all just accepting the idea that inflation is transitory. No, it it usually comes and then massive dramatic things happen, including revolutions uh, burning down the economy. And then it does. It does. It does go away eventually. You understand? Yeah. Anyway, um, may I suggest now might be the time to hedge your portfolio just a little bit. Gold is a time-tested investment that can hold its own in periods of inflation, even when it's just transitory hyperinflation. 
If you want to protect yourself and your family, call Goldline today. They're offering a special on their graded $5 Liberty coins. These are the coins that I buy. They are authenticated for their weight and purity. Independent grading agencies handle all of that. Uh, that way you know that they're not you know, counterfeit coins from overseas. Also, you can call Goldline to find out about their special limited time offer on this product. Again, these are the ones. These are historic coins. These are the ones that I have or had until that tragic fishing accident, Stu. Did I tell you about that? I lost all my guns oh my and the gold that I was saving. So common. Such a common story. Mm-hmm. And I was somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic. You don't and know where, I don't. Yeah. I don't. That's I don't. Thing. It's a big place. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's near where the same thing, because the same thing happened to me. I wonder if it's a similar. Really? Yeah, it could be a, a weather phenomenon in that particular yeah. area of well, the Atlantic. I, had, I also had all my food storage uh, oh, lost. No. I had all of my food oh, storage. No. All of the any Liberty coins, you know, that I, mm-hmm. I got and all my uh, my guns. I haven't reported it yet, but I should. We should we should be fair. You ate your, your food storage. Eight six six gold line is the number. Call them now. Eight six six gold line or goldline.com. Sure. Well, I never thought the day would come when I would welcome Spencer Corson to the radio program. Uh, Spencer is, if you've ever been, if you've ever been to any of our shows, especially, you know, gosh, how long, how long has it been? Maybe 10 years ago, uh, you would see Spencer. Uh, Spencer was the uh, chief of my detail for security in the golden era of death threats and it was a spe- it was a special special time spencer welcome to the program mr beck great to see you sir yeah um so you you started your own security group corson security group uh and uh, you're a threat management expert now uh i can't be more pleased for your success you you were let me let me just say this and see if you know is see if you can respond mr spencer do you have a six remember the response (laughs) yes and it was no cheyenne I don't have a six. Go fish. Uh, I thought you were going to say when we were all sitting around the table, and I would just be like, boom, winning. (laughs) Every time a card got thrown down, and that became the uh, the mantra of the weekend, um, which I almost got fired for. Uh, (laughs) Yes, I remember that. I do remember that. No, uh, you were with us uh, and the family and our kids. You don't even know this. Up at our ranch, we have, you know, we measure everybody. And the kids wanted me to put my height there and mom's height and everything on the doorframe. You are about a foot higher because <laughs> the kids said, I remember Mr. Spencer being so big and so tall. And I'm like, he was shorter than me. And they're like, no, he wasn't, Dad. No, he wasn't. So you are up on our, our doorframe. Anyway, it, you've, you've uh, written a book called The Safety Trap. And I wanted to have you on because I think it's really important uh, that people understand, I mean, Spencer, we have had uh, an incredible time. You know that we still have great security. We have had, uh, we've had a home invasion. We have had an um, IT attack on us. We've had all kinds of 
stuff uh, happen to us. And you know us. We're really prepared and really secure. But I think that goes to what you're talking about called the safety trap. Well, I, I, and I can't agree with you more. I mean, as, as seriously as you take your security, I, I, you know, I take my own security very seriously. Yeah. And I had an attempted home invasion in my house on Monday. Really? One o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. You don't invade Spencer's house. It was house. wrong house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wrong yeah, I house. I know. I know. But went to bed around midnight, 1, 10 a.m. Uh, I have a service dog. Just goes from zero to hero. And I look over and I see that my motion lights are turned on outside. My alert notifications on my security system are going into overdrive. Ronan is just like begging me to let him through the door. I check the security feed. I see that there's a bad guy trying to get in through my back fence. Um, I let Ronan out the back. I grab the shotgun and go out the front. And I was like five seconds too slow. And... <laughs> <laughs> and the guy got away. But uh, made a report, they wound up catching the guy about a half a mile down the road. Because he was so, break, trying to break into other houses on the street, too. Yeah, right? so the next morning, of course, all the neighbors start talking, and yeah. he had attempted to get into the apartment complex, which is to the left of me, hit my house, hit the house next to me, hit their, their neighbor's house, and we all just, you know, I got immediately on the phone right after I cleared the, cleared the property and was like, 510 gray shorts black shirt tan cap red backpack and he had obviously known what we what security like i was talk about how you want to just like you know present yourself as having a strong protective posture you know to sort of make that a, a deterrent factor which is the first level of of, of deterrence and, and some people take that as just putting the sign in their yard <laughs> with nothing else. And the problem with like, that is that 85% of home invasions is because the guy can just walk through the front door because it's unlocked. Hmm. And on the security cameras, you see the brazenness of this. He, see, he knows that I have the lights, and knows, so he puts the, like, his arm up to cover his face, but has no problem just trying the front door to see if he can just walk right in. Jeez. Wow. Just, wow. you know, drug-seeking behavior was looking for... To rate a medicine, and that's you know, that's the thing. You have to be really careful because people who come you know during the day are typically coming for your stuff, but people who come at night, good chance they're coming for you. So you really right, need to be of the mindset that you're willing to participate in your own protection. That's the one thing that I learned from you and and others is that robbers don't want to meet you just as much as you don't want to meet them. They come when the house is empty. They right. don't do it at night like you see in the movies. Generally speaking, they do it during the day. Somebody comes to your house at night, they got a problem. You know, they're either a yeah. drug person that's desperate or they do want to harm you or they're they're doing something more than stealing your stuff, generally speaking. Right, of course, there's always exceptions to every rule, but yeah, more often than not, and especially and when they don't come through the front door, which I think this guy was trying to do is by coming in through the back, is if you hear, if your neighbors hear one loud crash, they're probably going to go, oh, well, that was strange. But if they hear a second loud crash, then they may investigate. But if your front door is open or if it's a, a weak door that they can just get in with one quick kick or you know, just one break of a window, you, know, you cannot expect your neighbors to be willing to protect you any more than you are overly willing to protect your neighbors. Yes, we all have a neighborly responsibility to look out for one another, but we no longer live in a world where we can simply hope that nothing will happen and then solely rely on the first responders to save us once something does. That is something that came actually out of the Carter administration. He's the one that started calling police and fire first responders. We never thought of it that way. Up until Carter, 
we all believed we were the first responders. Yes. And that that change alone has changed our our society. So talk to me about the the paradox of the safety trap. So the what safety is the trap safety trap. The safety trap is a, a turn of phrase that I came up with a few years ago to explain to my clients the false sense of security that tends to hide behind our our own outlook when our fear has been abated but risk remains. So if we take a uh, a school shooting, for example, tragic event happens. There's this rush to that we have to do something. The politicians, you know, say we're going to we're going to ban guns, and you know, uh, public safety officials say we need to do something about mental health. But then, you know, nothing really happens. The news cycle moves on. The fear has abated, but the risk is still there. We have done absolutely nothing to, you know, maybe we'll do some things that will help to mitigate that risk once it has been realized. But we don't do anything. We don't put any kind of like preventative countermeasures in place to prevent that bad thing from happening. And that is the very essence of the safety trap. We are sometimes the most at danger when we feel the most safe. Because when we have just a little bit of fear, or when we're a little bit hesitant, or we're a little bit aware, we have our guard up. We're looking around. We're present. We're very much in the moment. But then, you know, things things go on, nothing else happens. And we have this, this, this swinging of the pendulum between hyperplacency and, and hypercomplacency and vigilance. And everyday safety is re uh, really about finding that happy middle, a healthy sense of skepticism, a moderate dose of vigilance. Very simple strategy. You know, I have a story that probably very few can relate to, but I tell it for a reason, uh, because you don't appreciate the skills that you actually have, these warning signals, these things in you that you, you will see without without recognizing that you're not consciously looking or listening for things. You just notice things and that gives you that sense of, I should be a little hesitant. When you were the head of uh, my detail, I had gotten so used to, and I think we may have talked about this. I got so used to always 24 seven having protection with me. And usually it was more than one guy in the bad times. It was a lot of people. And uh, and so I just knew that I was safe no matter where I was and or at least I felt that way. And I lost those skills. And I remember distinctly maybe 10 years ago, the first time I went out again just by myself, just to go to the store. Spencer, I was so freaked out because I didn't have that natural ability anymore. I mean, it came back. But it was so foreign to me, I was paranoid about everything. It's, it's this weird balance of still sensing the danger, but not living in fear. Does that make sense? It, it, no, it absolutely does make sense. And I think this is a, a very similar frame. And I, and I use a couple, I cite a couple examples in the book. One, the way I structured the book was I identified these like 16 quote unquote safety traps that all of my clients throughout the years kept falling into, whether that be complacency, whether that be avoidance, whether that be false equivalence. And what it really always comes down to is everything in our normal everyday life, like most of us are never going to experience a, a terror attack or be in an active shooter situation or, mm -hmm. or experience a home invasion or 
or any other like horrific incident. But that doesn't mean that the risks aren't real. The you know one of the things my global experience has has always shown me is that there are always pre-incident indicators. There are always warning signs that come before the bad thing happens. And staying safe is about training ourselves to see them. When we drive our cars, we are looking for the person who's flying up behind us. We're looking for the person who's erratically changing lanes. We're looking for the person that may we, you know, in, in leadership, they always talk about like anticipating the needs of others. Safety is mm -hmm. about anticipating the idiocy of others. <laughs> is this person going to like, and if we mm -hmm. could just like apply those same um, safety defense strategies that we employ when we're driving to our everyday life, we would have that ability to notice, hey, you know, this person, even when I was on your security detail and we had all of the advanced teams and the overwatch and the counter surveillance and everything, you would still very often come up to me and be like, something just doesn't feel right about this route. Something, yes. And all of that, and we would absolutely take that into our, into our route planning yes. or our threat matrix or whatever. Because you not negotiating against your own survival instincts allowed us to keep you safe. Yeah. Um, Spencer, I thank you for all of the years of service that you gave my family uh, and kept us safe in some really terribly frightening situations at times. Um, thank you for that. I, I want to come back because I want to ask you some questions because the world has changed. And um, you talk about, in the book, you talk about, don't necessarily go where everybody tells you to go. And that is advice that my uncle, who used to do uh, civil defense research back in the 60s and 50s uh, with nuclear stuff, that's the first thing he said to me when I moved to New York City. If anything happens, don't gather where they tell you to gather. And I want you to kind of explain, because the world has changed so much, how do we, how do we prepare for things that could happen in the future. We'll do that in 60 seconds. Stand by. All right. The designers over at Hustler Turf. I don't know how they stay modest. I, I When they make the best version of a product on the market, I mean, it would be hard to get up every morning and go, yep, I'm just like the other guys who are making that uh, lawnmower that doesn't last and doesn't cut like mine. Uh, deck sizes as small as 34 inches, which can fit through most residential gates, all the way up to 104 inches. They have the perfect size for whatever you need. You're, you're cutting a football field. Yes, the 104-inch uh, deck will cut a football field in 10 minutes. Okay, so you're going to get a 30. How fast are you going to cut your lawn? I mean, it is, it's going to shave off the time for you to cut your lawn in unbelievable ways. Right now, the latest and greatest from Hustler Turf is their new 2021 Raptor Series, built for homeowners with less than three acres. It's the Raptor Series. Find the Hustler dealership around you and take a hassle-free test drive. You're going to love it. The Rapture Series, new for 2021. You'll find it at a Hustler dealer near you. Find one. They have thousands nationwide. HustlerTurf.com. HustlerTurf.com. 10 seconds, station ID. So the, the 
the two things, Spencer, I want to talk to you about is why is it in the book? You you answer the question. Why is it so many emergency response plans do more harm than good? And why is run, hide, fight such a bad idea? Those are both things that we're told we have to pay attention to. And you're saying, nah, yeah, bad ideas, that, horrible ideas. OK, so on the evacuation protocols, why you don't want to go where everyone else is going. Okay. Let's say that um, one of the reasons, okay, let's just uh, accept the premise that everyone who calls in a bomb threat, d- d- is, there's no bomb. Because okay. to get the components for that bomb, to build it, to construct it, to then breach security, sure. to get it in place, to do, why are you going to sabotage your success? But what you do have readily available is where is that evacuation zone? Mm. Yeah. Right? And that's typically outside of the security zone. So I can put it and I can go on, I can put in hashtag fire drill or hashtag uh, bomb threat. And I can see on social media where everyone's gathering points are. Mm. I can very easily put an explosive device there. Now, if there is a real, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, I was just going to say this. I, I think they did this in Beslan, if you remember they did in Beslan. that. There's a, a movie called uh, The Kingdom where they, they put a, a small uh, diversionary explosive device inside mm-hmm. a building to get everyone to the evacuation point, and then that's where the real, the real bomb goes off. Because schools, buildings, office places are all these like interconnected, compartmentalized pockets of protection. And then you give yes. all of those up to, you know, to all move to one centralized Area. collective. Well, oh, we're all going to go to the parking lot. We're all going to go to the bleachers. Horrible idea. <laughs> right. if, there's an, if, if there's ever a fire drill or an evacuation drone, or even if it's just a rehearsal, go anywhere else than where they're telling you to go. Go to Starbucks. Go home. If, if, the, if the crisis is so severe that they had to stop what they were doing and get everyone out, they have bigger problems than getting you back in. Go just participate in your own protection, be disagreeable, and go away. And this gets us to the run, hide, fight thing. The run high okay, hang fight. on, because I've, I've, I've got about 30 seconds here, and I don't want to cut you off on sure. this, because I think this is important with, you know, the number of shooters that we have had, the murderers that come in, and uh, we had another shooting, I think, on, a, on an Air Force base, or a, uh, I think it was at Fort Bragg this weekend, I'm not sure, um, and run, hide, fight is what everybody preaches. Spencer says that's Marble. not the right way to go. Uh, Spencer Corson, it is The Safety Trap, a new book available out uh, this week, The Safety Trap. More in just a second. This is the Glenn Beck Program. All right, so the United States uh, was under attack, looks like from Russia, uh, this last Friday. You're not going to hear this talked about this way, but uh, Putin is attacking us. Uh, and he attacked our are what's called the jugular of our eastern uh, uh, fuel source. All of eastern America now is lost about 50% of their fuel because of a cyber attack. Cyber attacks are real. They're becoming more frequent, and they are state-sponsored. Um, you don't want to come under a cyber attack. You don't want to meet a cyber criminal. You don't want. You want to make sure you're as protected as you possibly can be. And knowing that somebody is going to get through at some point or another, that's why when LifeLock has the restoration specialist, the whole team dedicated to, in case something happens, they're going to help clean it up. 
that's what's happening right now with Colonial Pipeline. Uh, I hope they have somebody as good as LifeLock to help clean it up. LifeLock.com. Use the promo code BECK for 25% off. LifeLock.com. The book is out now. It's The Safety Trap, a security expert's secrets for staying safe in a dangerous world. Spencer Corson is the author. We'll have more with him coming up. Spencer Corson is a threat management expert, founder of Corson Security Group, and uh, probably the least impressive part of his resume, he was the head of my security detail for about 10 years. He is the author of The Safety Trap. It's a new book, comes out uh, soon. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you uh, purchase books. It's called The Safety Trap. I highly recommend it. Um, uh, not only because, uh, he's a friend, um, and I'd like to see him sell a lot of books. More importantly, he is the guy who protected my family and, um, many times in very frightening situations, uh, saved my family. And, uh, so I not only wish him well, but I know he has a lot to teach because I learned a lot from you, Spencer. Thank you, sir. And uh, as you're going through the book, I hope you won't sue me if you can pick out those times that those stories um, are definitely not about you. <laughs> are definitely not about me. Yeah, because you got a, I got a serious lawsuit. I have a serious lawsuit. Uh, so you use us as examples kind of disguised? I think that if someone knows, I think that you will be able to determine where I'm talking about you. Huh. Oh, now is I want it to do a good way, or is like I had this I think client. You'll be able what to, a dope. To, uh, as you're going through the book, figure out the time. <laughs> uh, All right. We no, were, obviously, we just, I mean, we uh, full confidentiality and legal review, and you, your lawyers and no, my lawyers, no, of course, had their back and forth. But of course, that, yeah. But yeah. I think, yeah. Um, we were just before the break. We were talking about the idea of run, hide, fight. Yes. And you say that's a bad idea. It, it, it is a horrible idea. So the 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 original premise of run, hide, fight was uh, what they taught pilots in SEER school. So survive, evade, resist, escape. Pilot gets captured by mistaken POW. He gets the chance to escape. He's going to run as far away from the enemy as he can. If he gets too tired or, or you know, is injured, he's going to hide until he can get his strength back. And then if he's going to start running again, and if the enemy should cut, catch up to him, he's going to fight that enemy life. His life depends on it because it absolutely will. Mm-hmm. So then you have uh, Sandy Hook, you have Columbine, you have all, all of these tragedies. And this cottage industry starts coming up of run, hide, fight, which is great on an individual level but is a horrible uh, protocol for a collective because what it has now been uh, reduced to is run to your hiding spot. And anyone who has ever played T-ball or has played baseball, which is harder to hit, the ball that is coming across the plate at 90 miles an hour or the ball that is sitting stationary on a tee? Mm. I would say both equally for me, both both equally. Athleticism being a constant. (laughs) But... In, in standard safety, if the threat is inside your house, you want to get outside the house. If the, if the threat is outside your house, you want to barricade yourself inside the house. What has happened is that there's, there's this wide divide between survivability and accountability. If someone was to break in here right now, I would try to, I would try to take that guy down while all, all of you got as far away from here as possible because the hardest thing to hit 
is someone that is taking is time is increasing time and distance, putting as many steps between you and the bad guy as possible and getting and getting farther and farther away with each step you take. Schools have have just basically want schools and and police aligned authors of these security programs want everyone to be compartmentalized, want everyone to be contained because now they're containing the threat. A lot of people have this misconception that the police are there for your personal safety. They're not. They're there for the public safety. And in the interest of the collective safety, keeping that threat contained is better for them because now we don't have to worry about where else he's going. So I always urge clients, families, teachers, parents, students, if you ever are in a situation where there is a, a known threat inside the building, get outside that building as quickly as you so possibly the, but can. The, but this is different than, because you were the one who designed my first safe room when we had to have one in Connecticut. Yes. Um, and the idea was get all of the children in there and you and stay in there. So it's different if it's, you're talking about you know, you have a, a, a some sort of a safe room where nobody can get in, at least for residential security, where that was one small part of an overarching, very comprehensive security program. Yes. You know what I mean? We had multiple levels of concentric rings yes. of security from yes. the outerness Gosh, of, the, of the property to yeah. the to the immediate access to the to the compound to the driveway to the house to inside the front door and then yeah. more so inside. So if it got to the point where multiple things were breached and all of us were dead, the safest place for your family to be was in that safe room until the police could get there. We were buying you the time for a police response. Right. That is completely right. different from a school or a movie theater or a mall or a shopping center which may have all of those uh, false senses of security because you see the, the cameras and you see the guard and you see all the domes mm -hmm. up in the, in the ceiling. But all of those things are there to protect the products. They are not there to protect you. So if you are in a situation where your life is on the line, you are your own authority. And I will tell you right now, if it's a, a matter of... Life and death is not a game of hide and seek. Mm. You would not hide from a fire in a building and hope the fire doesn't find you. But an active shooter is just as unpredictable and just as violent as a fire. So would you hide from a fire or would you run? I recommend you run. Do you? So that is first because it is, uh, it's hide. What is it? Hide, run, run, run hide, hide, fight. Run, hide, fight. Your, yes. your point, your, your distinction here is you're not running to a place to hide, which is how it's being interpreted. Correct. It, it, you don't it. want to run to a place to hide. Out. You want to run, get the hell out of there no you matter what. You want to run. Yeah. I would love to see schools put... It is, I would much rather schools invest in threat management programs and start helping those who are hurting, who... And especially now with like all... So schools have finite budgets, okay? And so that means that... Not now. All, yeah. <laughs> we'll see but all yeah. of the money that typically would go to security programs has now been shifted to to covid protocols right mm -hmm. okay so none of that money is going to counseling none of that money is going to mental health and one of the reasons we're seeing such a rise in active shooter engagements and uh, domestic violence and child abuse is because 
one of the of the after effects of a year long spent in pan, in this pandemic is isolation has been solitude and that has had a catastrophic impact on those with mental illness and i'm not talking about you know people like me who are in therapy i'm talking about those who are have serious mental illness whoa whoa that, whoa. whoa 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 hey you're in therapy oh i've been Why in you therapy talk about that for a better part you're of just, 6 months now it's been great how hmm. do you feel about that love it Tell me, tell me, tell me about your mom. What well, happened? Well, I mom? was born at the nerve. Okay. Um, so wait a minute. Are you? Are you? I don't want to use the word predicting, but are you warning that we may have more shootings? Uh, what I am than- saying is that if you are expecting your school to be able to save your child, you are putting your child more at risk. My parents were both teachers. They were brilliant educators. They were not trained protectors. I am. And I'm telling you right now, would, would, when you go to a, a, a movie theater or you go to a ball game and that you see the guy in the security windbreak and you ask him where your, where your seat is and he says it's over there, you can trust that. But would you trust that same person in a mass casualty event? No. Exactly. You taught me one thing uh, and I thought it was really fascinating because, you know, at first you guys uh, could, uh, uh, couldn't carry guns. In New York, Not because in New York City, right. you, in New York City, you, they no guns, and they do it for a reason. They're doing it for the pension of the police officers. Yes. And if you hire a police officer, then you have a gun. Uh, and you'd never wanted to do that. And you you said because it's the opposite kind of training. Do you remember this? Completely different. If you have, if you and are, it's, it kind of relates to this yes. is what you're saying. Yes. Go ahead. First off. Uh, if you are a, a, if you are, so when I was in the army, I was an assaulter. I was a shooter. It was my job to initiate a violence of action on a known target for God and country. As a protector, my job is to cover and evacuate my principal off the X. So if I have time to draw, aim, and fire, I have time to to cover and evacuate you. My job is not to be in a gunfight. When you saw Ronald Reagan coming out of uh, the Hinckley Hilton mm-hmm. and John Hinckley shot him and he got off six shots. How many shots did the Secret Service get off? Zero. Mm. Because their job was to protect the president, to put themselves between a bullet and a target and get that president to safety. Firearms are on, on a list of protective. Now, it's, a firearm would be different for, say, like a home invasion where it's a known target and you have assets in place where you can see mm-hmm. how they're coming in like, like I did on Monday. But, you know, the, the number one argument against uh, using a handgun for self-defense is to watch the everyday citizen try to take a selfie of a celebrity using their cell phone. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great point. Okay. So they're like, oh, oh my it gosh, put your back, put your back. Can I, can, can, uh. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now the average person right. can take a photo of their breakfast with, with you know, photographic expertise that'd be worthy of framing in the MoMA. But, you know, have Taylor Swift walk into the room and be like, ah, ah. Now that's imagine true. that's a handgun. And tell me that person can, can you know, do the, and th- and do the, the same thing. The, the police are more like the military. They are to go in and get the guy. The they job are of the police there. is to police. Yeah. Public They're not safety. there Right, to evacuate the kids. I mean, they will help with that, et cetera, et cetera. But their primary 
job in those situations is to get the bad guy. Yeah. Where at- a defender is someone who says, get out, get away from the bad guy. Yeah. And what's the, like, watch any, any, like, crime TV show. What's the first thing you hear the detectives talking about is, like, how much they're yelling at the cops in uniform not to mess things up. Like, your job is to secure the scene. Then the, then mm-hmm. the detectives will come in and, and, you know, interpret what's what and what's relevant and what, who can go and who needs to stay and who needs to be interviewed. They're the ones that solve the case. But to expect, and don't get me wrong, I am not knocking police officers. I love the police. I am oh, a yeah. supporter of the police. I am very pro-police. But no. I would not expect, you know, the, my local fireman to change my oil. It's not their job. I, you would not, yeah. you, so, and therefore you can't expect. It's just different you, training. It's completely yeah. different training. Just different training. Spencer, thank you so much. Um, Sir, this was a true I pleasure. Will, uh, thank you. I will tell you that uh, we talk about you often, uh, still after these years. Uh, the children remember you fondly. You were a, uh, a great impact on their life and a real impact on mine. And I, As I were you do on appreciate mine, sir. everything you thank did. You. Thank you. <clears throat> Spencer Corson, the, the, he's the author of the book, The Safety Trap. Uh, you can pick it up anywhere. The safety trap. Get it now. Linda lives in Texas, and she was living with a ton of pain for a really long time. The biggest thing was her knee, which was just was swelled up so much of the time, and it constantly hurt when, when she would try to walk. She also had frequent pain in her legs and her back, especially bad at night. It would keep her awake all hours in the morning. She felt like she'd lost control of her life. She was starting to just drag into despair. Then she heard about a product called Relief Factor on the radio. She decided to give it a try. She tried a lot of the things over the years. None of them really had done that much for her. Within just a few weeks, to her utter astonishment, she says all of her pain was gone completely. Linda, I'm so happy for you. She got her life back, and so can you. Just try Relief Factor. It's not a drug, but it was developed by doctors. 70% of the people who try it go on to order more. You can order the three-week quick start for only $19.95. It's relieffactor.com or call 800-583-84. 800-583-84. It's relieffactor.com. 888-727-BECK. Is the Glenn Beck program. Glad you're here. I want to uh, leave you this. This is from a, a local news report, Fox 12 in Portland, Oregon. They were talking to a guy named Joe Hall, who had just been injured by Antifa. Listen. Joe Hall has a long recovery ahead of him. Partially collapsed left lung, two um, lower vertebrae uh, fractured. That's on top of five broken ribs, a broken collarbone, and head trauma. I stood my ground, and I would do it all over again. Paul, a local handyman, says he was trying to defend himself after getting stopped in his pickup by a crowd in the street and other vehicles along North Alberta near Michigan Avenue. All of a sudden, this you know these agitators come out, screaming, pounding on my truck. 
He said he tried to go around the group, but stopped and got out of his car after he thought he hit something. By this time, I've got mm. five people surrounding my vehicle, AR-15s, AK-47s. Hall said people in the crowd were calling him derogatory names and pointing guns at him. While his door was open, Hall told me someone took his keys and his less lethal firearm, so he grabbed his pistol. I pulled my 38 out of my right pocket and pointed it at the ground and told them if a weapon points at me again, I will shoot to eliminate the threat. Shortly after that, Hall said someone tackled him to the ground and took his gun. Videos posted to social media showing the event unfolding with posters praising the crowd's disarming of the man. A neighbor telling Jeez. me she saw part of the scuffle from her window. It looked like he was face down and then the people were kneeling on top of him. I was in fear of my life. Hall wonders why Portland police didn't intervene. More 911 calls were made from other intersections Thursday, including Interstate Avenue and Killingsworth, where a driver reported a crowd smashed out their back window and slashed their tires. For Hall, this was the last straw. I, I'm done. I'm done working in Portland. You know, I'm shutting my business down, and I'm probably not going to be coming back. It's uh, quite amazing what's going on. The biggest threat to our democracy, our republic, since the Civil War. Oh, tomorrow, I tell you what's happening to those prisoners from January 6th. Don't miss a second of tomorrow's episode. Stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. This is the Glenn Beck Program.